Good morning this Thursday. Welcome again to our study this week on the book of Philemon. We're enjoying some time in Philemon as we have learned from Philemon and from Paul, first of all, as we've been studying them more intently. And today we're going to take a look at Onesimus a little more intently, though we've touched on Onesimus throughout because uh, he, you know, it relates to Philemon and Paul, whom we focused on the past two days. But we're still going to focus on Onesimus, and even if we repeat some things, that's okay, because important things need repeating. That's why we celebrate Christmas every year and birthdays every year. Important things need to be repeated. We need to be reminded of the important things. And another comment I'll make quickly is that one of the benefits of using this process for Bible study is that, as you've noticed, we've gone through the book of Philemon. We've listened to it two or three or four times now, and we've gone through it almost verse by verse, at least three times, if I remember correctly, and maybe more. So this is sort of a, quote, forced way to get us to really focus on the text. And so while sometimes we might get impatient with it and think, are we going to read this again? Uh, A good way to look at it is, hey, we get to read this again, (laughs) you know, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in what we're reading and help us learn something fresh today. So let's, let's pray for that now. Holy Spirit, please help us learn something fresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, in this particular case, Onesimus is not mentioned until verse 10. So that's where we're going to start. So we're actually not going to read the whole thing today, though we might read it out loud at the end. So Paul is talking to Philemon, and we think also because of the way the salutation is expressed in the first two verses, he's also talking to Aphia. Archippus, and the church in Philemon's house. And he says this, I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. So it's pretty obvious, and we've touched on it from Paul's perspective yesterday, but what do we learn about Onesimus from this verse today? Uh, that Paul considers him a child, uh, most likely a child in the Lord, Obviously, but a child, right. so a Paul, family member, so to speak. Okay, so he is considered to be a child by Paul, and cons- and Paul considers himself to be Onesimus' father. So Onesimus has a father of some sort in Paul. We think spiritual father, obviously. Okay? Great. What else do we learn by default? That he became his son in um, while Paul was in prison. Okay, while Paul was in prison, which means what? Onesimus was in prison. Onesimus was either in prison or visited Paul in prison. Okay, um, we don't really know which, but we have, you know, we would take a guess. Again, now that's interpretation, but we would take a guess that he was in prison. But we, we don't really know that. The text doesn't say that. Okay, formerly he was useless to you, that is to you, Philemon, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. So this is again obvious, but we want to state it. What do we learn about Onesimus in this verse? Kathy? Um, he was useless before, and now he isn't. Okay. Right. He used to be useless for whatever reason to Philemon, but now he's useful. But what changed besides the going from useless to useful? What else changed? Well, according to what this verse says, he's now useful to Paul as well as to Philemon. So he was useless to Philemon. Paul doesn't say he was useless to Paul. He was useless to Philemon. Now he's useful to both Paul and Philemon. Okay. 
this may not be important, but we we want to train ourselves to see what the text says. And y'all know the reason for that. I've been hammering on that all week because we want to see what the text says, not what we think. Okay? I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. What do we hear? Learn about Onesimus from this one. Paul considers him his own heart. Paul considers Onesimus to be his own heart. Whatever that might mean, and we could try to flesh that out during an interpretation phase, but obviously it probably means something pretty good. (laughs) Very close to Paul. Taylor, did you have a thought? He's sending him back again. He's already been there once before. And he's sending him back. Very good, Taylor. He's sending him back. And that's how we almost, well, pretty certainly know, certainly know, he used to be with Philemon, and we think is a slave. Okay, so thank you, Taylor. So that back to you is a real important phrase there. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. So we learn here, Paul wanted to keep Onesimus with him. He liked having Onesimus with him. Okay, so what we learn about Onesimus here is that he was at least useful enough to Paul that Paul wanted him to hang around. Okay, so he wasn't a burden to Paul. He was a help to Paul. So sometimes I have to process in my own life, am I a burden to Nancy or am I a help to Nancy? (laughs) You know, because I won't speak for every husband, but I know a few, every husband, but I know a few husbands who tend to be more burdensome to their wives than helpful. (laughs) And I have to process that in my own life sometimes. Am I more of a burden to Nancy? Do I get too demanding sometimes? Uh, Or am I helpful to Nancy? And I could ask that in any relationship, and we can ask that in any role we have as leaders in ministry. You know, is our ministry about helping others, or are we burdening others with stuff we don't need to burden them with? Does that make sense? Kind of as a barometer question. We don't want to become a Pharisee that lays on people uh, rules and obligations that we're not willing to fulfill ourselves and that really aren't necessary, okay? Okay, so I, uh, from reading this for, about Onesimus, I want to be useful to people, okay? Um, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent except in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. That's about Paul and Philemon. Now, verse 15, perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever. So what's something pretty obvious that we learn here about Onesimus? That he had left. He had been there and he had left. And they had been separated for whatever a while is, for some period of time. Okay? So it's it's probably at least more than a day, right? Or he'd have said he's been separated from you since yesterday. He he probably would have phrased it differently, but a while. In the interpretation phase, if we really wanted to know what a while means, we could even look and see if the Greek word gives any clues. Okay, uh, in certain uh, all Spanish-speaking uh, countries don't use the same words the same way, but in Venezuela, if they say un rato, that means a while. R a t o un rato. That means a while, which for them could mean anywhere between four and eight hours. Un ratito means anywhere between 15 minutes and two hours. <laughs> and so we could look at the Greek word if we want, really wanted to know, and it might not be important, but just to give you an example, that's the kind of thing you could do in the interpretation phase if you had, a, if you had bothered to observe here that he said a while. 
Taylor? I was noticing that the reason that he departed for a season was to be with Paul a couple of verses ago to be, well, he wanted to keep on to be ministered on me on, onto the bonds of the gospel. But he says in that verse 15 that for perhaps he de- then therefore departed for a season that you should receive him forever. Okay. For he's doing something with Paul that he would be received back. And not only received back, but received back forever. So this sort of gets into interpretation, but it seems to be implied here that at least Paul thinks that Onesimus' separation from Philemon, even if he was a runaway, that in God's economy, it was something that was useful and almost planned in order to bring Onesimus back to Philemon to have more like forever. Okay? So good, Taylor. Good observation. Hmm? Did you have Kathy? Please get the mic. If in verse, thank you, thank you, Rick. Yeah, in verse twelve, um, even if Paul is sending him back, does that mean that Onesimus is willing to go back? Was that was it that dangerous? Simply for a slave? doesn't say. It, okay. It simply doesn't say. Uh, and. To answer your question, is it dangerous for him to go back? We'd be getting into some interpretation there, which is okay, as long as we acknowledge that it's interpretation. And based on some information that we can get from the historical context, it could be dangerous for a runaway slave to be returned to his master without knowing yet whether or not the, how the master is going to receive him or her because they could be penalized to death. And the person harboring the runaway could also be arrested and is responsible for every every dime of lost wages. Okay. Now, where, where are we? Verse 16? Okay, so I'll, I'll do 15 again to lead into verse 16. Perhaps this is, this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. And we talked about this a couple times this week already, um, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So we learn here about Onesimus that he did used to be a slave. Okay, and so it's real clear here. Now, I don't know what the Greek word says here. If it's doulos, uh, it can be interpreted as slave or servant. Um, but most people who do commentary on Philemon and study it a lot think he was probably a, a literal runaway slave. Um, but we at least know he was in some kind of servitude uh, relationship with Philemon, some kind of bondage relationship. We just don't know how strict the bondage was, okay? But he's not that anymore. He is now a beloved brother. I mean, what a humongous change has taken place in this relationship based on the change that took place in his life when he was spiritually birthed through Paul's ministry. Well, do you think right maybe he had to, uh, it was good for him to go away to get him him straightened out and then be able to come back? Maybe we said that, I don't know, to be useful for Paul because his attitude maybe had to change. I don't know. Well, Where, certain, it certainly was useful in God's economy. Right. Now, whether... God caused him to run away, you know, that's something that other people more, a lot wiser than I am can figure that one out. But 
Once he had run away, God certainly used it. He used it for Onesimus' sake and for Paul's sake and for Philemon's sake and, I believe, for the church's sake because the church is hearing this letter read out loud too. Even like, you know, the prodigal son. He went away, but he came back better off back. than he was before. That's right, much better off. So sometimes in those away times, God doesn't work in us, but we don't really realize it at the time. All we know is we're away from everything. And it feels pretty bad. <laughs> and it feels rotten and we're away from people we know, uh, etc. Now, Onesimus might have wanted to be away, but then once he got away, he realized, what did I do? I must have been crazy. What? I mean, he was a, we don't know, this is all supposition, but he could have been thinking to himself, he was actually a pretty good master. You know, he didn't treat us horribly. We got food to eat. We had shelter. And now here I am, a runaway slave. Anybody who picks me up can turn me into the authorities. And I'll be arrested and could be put to death. The, the, the word here, the word says divine providence. But, you know, you're talking about a slave, right? Yes. And so, why? That's a lot of emotion there. There's a lot of emotion there. Oh, That's wow. right, Rick. Yeah. There's definitely divine providence going on here. Yeah. And one of the things that we can be reminded of in this story from Onesimus' perspective is, that in God's divine plan, no situation is without hope. No situation is without hope. That's both interpretation and application at the same time. But no situation is without hope. Praise God for that. So if we find ourselves in those kind of situations, we should just read Philemon again and think to ourselves, well, look, if God can bring Onesimus back from being a runaway slave in immediate danger of death at any moment, by being arrested, tried, convicted, and, and put to death, then God can do something in me too. Amen. Now, I have no idea what the phrase means both in the flesh and in the Lord. We could take a guess at it, um, but let's not do that right now. But that's one of the things you would do in an interpretation phase. You would try to think to yourself, process, what does that mean? Why did he phrase it that way? Why did he, why did he even include that phrase? Okay. But the Holy Spirit wanted that phrase in there, there, so there may be something there we could learn. But we're not going to deal with that today. Okay, then uh, let's go to verse 18. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And we've already talked about this from Paul's perspective and Philemon's perspective. But what do we learn about Onesimus here? He may owe Philemon something. Paul says if he has, and he may have wronged him. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything. Now, it's almost certain that he has wronged him and owes him back wages or the equivalent of back wages if Philemon had to hire somebody to do the work Onesimus was doing. But Paul doesn't really know that because he doesn't know how Philemon's going to receive him. Okay? So there may be what could have been a debt, but it won't be a debt if Philemon doesn't call it in, doesn't call it due. Okay? So that's, I think, I think that's interpretation, but I think that's why Paul uses the word if. If he has wronged you, if he owes you, okay? You can charge that to my account, okay? All right, so that's everything that we see in here about Onesimus. So just generally thinking about Onesimus, uh, remember our four questions for application when we do who, how does, so I'll personalize them related to Onesimus. Is there anything I can identify with in Onesimus' life? How does Onesimus challenge me? How does Onesimus encourage me? Or what can I learn from Onesimus? 
So anything uh, kind of percolate for you related to any of those questions as pertain to Onesimus, as they pertain to Onesimus. Challenge, encourage. What you just said a minute ago, that no situation is without hope. Okay. I mean, he was away, but Lord, the Lord brought him back, and he's been restored. Even his debt have, has been paid by Paul. Or will be, yes. Or will be. Certainly, yeah, has, there, Paul has committed any. to it. Yes. That's right. So, so is that a challenge or an encouragement? Oh, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement. It could be a challenge if we have lost our faith. We could be being challenged by the Spirit to buck up a little bit and trust Him more. But it's primarily, it's like 99.9% encouragement. Okay, but every once in a while, we need, it's sort of a kick in the seat of the pants challenge too. You know, your God is not without hope. You don't serve a God of hopelessness. You serve a God of hope. Okay? But God would only, quote, scold us that way from a loving perspective, not from a he wants to punish us perspective. Okay? Thank you, Frankie. So that, hope, that whole idea of hope. Anything else that challenges or encourages you or that you identify with or that you learn from Onesimus? Matt? Uh, I think it's just a really, for, for me, the story of Onesimus is very encouraging because it, it shows you that even when you're at your worst, God's at his best. And mm-hmm. so in Onesimus' life, you know, the, the situation he got himself into, you know, it, it goes back to the hope thing. It's, it's the Lord was able to use his sin, I guess, so to speak, and his bad situation to not just encourage Onesimus and to restore Onesimus, but encourage us today. I mean, this story, you know, for, for Onesimus doesn't, probably doesn't seem like that big of a deal on the grand scheme of things. You know, it's, it's his mistake leads to us today, 2,000 years later, talking about it and learning from it. Amen. That'd be a great sermon. I might steal that. And I might make that a sermon title, really. When you're at your worst, God is at his best. Can you, can't you see T.D. Jakes? When you're at your worst, God is at his best. <laughs> I could see him. Oh, I did a T.D. Jakes impersonation with motions in Venezuela one time, and they busted out in the floor laughing. He's got a great sermon on the, on the prophets of Baal encounter on uh, what mount was it? Some some mount oh, Camp, Carmel. Mount Carmel, yeah. And it, and the fire that came down. He said that wasn't no matchstick fire. That wasn't no Boy Scout fire. That wasn't no barbecue fire. That was a Holy Ghost fire. <laughs> All right, enough about that. This is not meant to be comedy hour with Dan. But it's good to laugh in the Lord, isn't it? But it is true, Matt. When God is, when we are at our, our worst, God is still at His best. Hallelujah! And there are so many biblical examples about that. You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you think of Daniel, and oh man, and so many examples. So, okay, anything else you learned from Onesimus, John? Yeah, I got one here that comes out of verse uh, eleven, where Paul talks about how Onesimus was. Um, I guess he's assuming in the eyes of Philemon, um, not very useful. But in Paul's eyes, uh, Onesimus now has a very useful purpose in life. And and uh, there's a lot of people that struggle with this idea of, do I have purpose and meaning? And, and am I useful for anything for the Lord? That's true. 
on this earth. <laughs> That's true. Um, and it's a very powerful thing to see that, you know, this guy has had a transformation such to the point that the Apostle Paul sees in him way more yeah. than either Philemon or probably even Onesimus saw in himself. But Paul has seen that there is something in Onesimus that really needs to be valued. And um, and I think that's, yeah. that's really powerful. And, um, and there's a lot of people that, that need somebody like Paul to come along and speak that into their lives. Yes. You know? Amen. And there are so many uh, dimensions of that issue. Uh, one of the dimensions that... Speaking, looking at it sort of, quote, institutionally, back in the 50s when uh, the, quote, professional movement became more, uh, got more momentum in the states where doctors were considered more professionals rather than country doctors who visited people in their homes. They started hanging out their shingles at their offices. Same thing with lawyers. Uh, so professions became, or careers became more professionalized. This was a movement in the 50s after the end of World War II because World War II took so much of the United States energy and focus. Uh, well, then, so the mainline uh, denominations decided their clergy ought to be professionals too. And that was the institutional beginnings that went along with some theological misunderstandings. And all that combined... Uh, didn't force us, uh, helped us choose to begin to say that the clergy do the ministry and the laity pay for it. And you still see that today. I mean, that that, that hangover is still with us today. Uh, there are, our pews are filled, and our, and our pulpits, our pews and our pulpits are filled with people who think the clergy do the ministry and the laity pay for it and the laity sit and listen to them and, and receive the ministry. Well, that's completely non-biblical. I mean, the biblical portrait is that all Christians do the ministry and those who are set apart in full-time ministry, whether it be as a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, or whatever, their job is to equip the saints to do their ministry so that we reach the world outside the walls of the church. Okay, and go ahead, Frank. Well, I didn't want, and that's what my husband even said last night in the Bible study, the best I, the best minister I can be is to work myself out of a job Amen. that all these people go out and be able to do Absolutely. what they expect me to do, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, you think the body of Christ image in Corinthians, I mean, there's just, the Bible is just full of, especially the New Testament, but the Old Testament too, just full of imagery and, and direct statements that relate to all Christians are supposed to be in ministry. I mean, there are people you know, that work in office buildings all through Athens that I'll never meet and I'll never be able to reach them. Never. But Christians who work there could if they had the attitude that they were equipped for ministry, whatever that ministry looks like. But when we say the word ministry, people automatically hear serving the local church as opposed to ministering in your gift area of giftedness. Uh, so, and part of that puzzle uh, John, I'm, I am tying this in case you didn't catch the tie, the connection. Part of that puzzle is, therefore, if all I'm supposed to do is sit in the pew and write a check, I really don't have much purpose in the church, do I? And so we've grown up generations of Christians, and we've taught them without knowing it that they don't have any purpose in God's kingdom, when in fact they do. Yeah. They, if Onesimus, a runaway slave, has a purpose, well, everybody else does too, yeah. including you. 
including you. You have a purpose in God's kingdom. Amen. 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 Anything else you are challenged by, encouraged by, identify with, or learn from Onesimus? John, we'll okay, I, I, I got Good. something. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that Paul's relationship with this slave, uh, and that's really, I wish I could be there to listen the way Paul approached him and disciple him and minister to him personally mm-hmm. and walk, like you said yesterday, alongside him without mm-hmm. condemning, without condemnation, but allow him to come. And then to a moment there, confess. So, so, so uh, he reminds me of a lot of people who have been struck by the power of God, renewed, and then become overwhelmed by it. So I see a, a slave that is, he doesn't look back anymore about being a slave for so many years. He is, he's just full of joy. Because Paul yeah. wanted him around. You know, yeah, you don't want a guy depressed, full of trouble, right. yelling and screaming all the time around you. That's right. But a, a man that is overcoming. That's right. right. He's overcoming. Because being slave doesn't wipe out, out of your mind in just 10, 15, three days, an hour, a season. No. It's a lifetime of healing. And this guy overcome a lot. Yes, a whole lot. Yep. Thank you, Rick. And we can, too. And we yes. can, too. And, but not in our own strength. Yes. Onesimus must have learned from Paul and others, or just directly through the Holy Spirit or a combination, yes, yes. he must have learned, I cannot do this in my own strength. Yes. But if I can learn to allow the Spirit to heal me yes. in this way, as he has saved and is saving me, no. uh, then though I may never forget my past, my past will not control me. Yes. My past will not control Amen. me. Your past need not control you. Oh, God, thank you. God wants to use your past. God doesn't consider your past wasted. But if there are negative things that your past has left with you, you do not need to let those things control you. The Holy Spirit wants to break those bonds, and we ask for those bonds to be broken now in the name of Jesus. Anything from your past that has you tied so that you cannot live into the fullness of the ministry God has called you to, We break that in the name of Jesus. We break those chains in the name of Jesus. Just as Onesimus' chains were broken, your chains are broken today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Anything else about Onesimus? Y'all really dug deep with him. I got one more. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go, go. So on the other side of uh, Onesimus having purpose in Paul's mind now, um, in terms of just being useful uh, and having meaning in the kingdom of God, <clears throat> I see also here Paul speaking about Onesimus in terms of identity and relationships. Mm-hmm. So not only, you know, not every us in America really define ourselves a lot of times in terms of what are, what are we going to do with our lives, what's our vocation, or, or how, you know, how what are we skilled at, what's um, what's our profession and, and all of that? So it's doing things. What are we? What can, what are we able to accomplish? But a lot of people in this world mostly will define themselves more based on relationships mm-hmm. than that. That's right. And so, so Paul, you know, he's a smart guy. Yeah. The more I, I mean, he is so way smarter than me, and he knows that Onesimus needs that side of him that to be formed as well. That he be defined by not just having purpose but also having 
valuable, meaningful relationships. And so he's doing that. Yes. And I find that very powerful. And that's something that the longer I'm, I'm alive on this earth, um, I've had, I've been challenged in that. And I'm encouraged here that, you know, I really need to allow my relationships to be rich, to be formed well. And, yeah. you know, you got to work at it and, uh, Takes work. yeah. What's the first question we ask of a stranger in the States when we meet them? If you, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, one of my many mentors that God has blessed me with through my many years uh, was Ken Callahan, and he taught me to ask this question. What do you have fun doing? Instead of just, what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. Well, that doesn't tell you much. <laughs> you know, it tells you they went to school for to learn to be an accountant, but what do you enjoy doing? I mean, they might be an accountant, but they enjoy snow skiing or they enjoy whatever activity or playing chess or playing with the grandkids, you know. That's still a doing question, but it's a better doing question. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, in Venezuela, they taught me very quickly that relationships are far more important to them than accomplishments. And so we've had to teach them that it's okay to accomplish something once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they had to teach me, you know, you don't need to let you don't need to let task keep you from enjoying deep relationships, which is why their perspective on time is different. Because if we're having a conversation and I'm late for a meeting, I am not going to cut this conversation short, mm-hmm. because this relationship is equally as important as the relationship with the people I have that who to the meeting that I'm going who are going to be in the meeting I'm going to. So, about thirty seconds, Raymond. So as you wrap up today, tomorrow, uh, for those of you here in staff and for those of you who know that you're going to be listening online tomorrow, try to have a, a piece of paper and something to write with because we're going to do some uh, specific application questions and we're going to focus in our application on what are called timeless truths or we could also call them biblical principles. But we're also going to focus on one of the things that I think Paul is trying to teach Philemon and the church about how we are to treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So we'll look forward to that tomorrow. God, may we live in your love today, and may we be instruments of your love today. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless.